You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning and happy Easter. It is good to see you today. Uh, I hope that you were able to grab a butt cake when you came in this morning. Uh, when I got here um, early this morning, they, had, they were getting the butt cakes out, and I, I told them, hey, I, I want a butt cake. And they said, isn't a, a little too early for that? And I said, Jesus is alive. All right? uh, uh, there is nothing too early. I don't need your shame and your negativity, all right? I need a butt cake. That's what I need. Uh, uh, so in the, the first service, I had uh, told them, hey, uh, grab two butt cakes. If no one gives you a hard time telling the pastor said you were allowed to. And they came to me, and they said, hey, you can't do that. We're running out of butt cakes. And so in the, the second service, I said, all right, you can have one bunt cake per person. They just came to me and said, hey, um, you can't do that. I said, why not? They said, because we're out of bunt cakes. So I hope that you got your, I know, bear of bad news on Good News Sunday. Uh, but uh, um, I hope that, uh, that you got a bunt cake. And if not, I want you to know that I'm glad that you are here. Uh, my name's Ethan. I get the great privilege of being the pastor here at Central. And so if this is your first time, or your first time in a long time, I want you to know that we're grateful you're here, and uh, we hope that today is a great blessing uh, for you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be together uh, this morning. And as you turn there, I just want to ask you a question, maybe just by show of hands. Uh, how many of you still receive a newspaper delivered to your home each day or each week? Any Anyone still? We had a few... None. I don't see any. Okay, one. Hey, there we go. All right. Uh, we've got one, uh, one faithful newspaper reader. In the first service, there were a handful. In the second service, there was a good number. And then uh, we have one, uh, so they get a bunt cake when they leave. All right? Um, but one of the things that we know uh, just from experience and as the world changes is that newspapers uh, are uh, slowly, less and less people are subscribing to newspapers uh, each and every year. Uh, people are deciding to get their news from different places and different outlets. Uh, in fact, as of last year, uh, 48% of American adults said that they get their news through social media. Uh, so whether it be through Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be, that's where they get their news. Now, uh, there are uh, reasons that this happens, and uh, the the number one reason is that people want to be able to curate the kind of news they receive. Uh, they, they want to decide what news they are going to get. They, they want to decide where they are going to get their news from, uh, who they are going to listen to, uh, and all of uh, the rest. Now, for others, what we've also learned is that it's not uh, that they simply want to curate where they're getting their news from. Instead, it's that they have decided that they just don't care about the news. They've decided that they don't want to know what's happening in the world, that if, uh, if they are going to know what's happening in the world, then the way that's going to happen is they're going to have to have a neighbor or a friend or a family member or a coworker tell them. They've decided that if they're going to find out what's going on, uh, then it's going to be by accident, not because uh, they have been looking for it, because what they have come to the decision of is that all news or most news or a significant amount of news is bad news, and so they just don't want to hear it. Uh, they just don't want to deal with it. But what we know is that there are different pieces of news, there are different news stories that everyone needs to be aware of. There are different news stories that we all need to listen to, that we all need to hear. And the most important one of those news stories is what we're looking at today is the fact that Jesus is alive. See, the, the resurrection of Jesus is important not just for me, not just for you, but for all of us. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus uh, changes uh, everything. And so uh, as we look here at 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see just how good of news that resurrection of Jesus is. And so uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we see this. We see Jesus' resurrection matters because your resurrection matters. So we're going to summarize uh, this section of 1 Corinthians 15 that we're looking at this morning. It would be that Jesus' resurrection matters because your resurrection matters. Now, uh, look with me here at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 11. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 1, 
the Spirit says to us this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus is alive. Father, I pray this morning that you would would speak to us here through your word, and that you would help us to see the beauty and the wonder and the power of the resurrection. Father, we pray this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here at 1 Corinthians 15, first we see this. We see why the gospel matters. See, the gospel is good news that we should all care about. It's good news that is relevant for all of us. We should care about the gospel. We should care that Jesus is alive. We should care about his his resurrection because our resurrection matters. Now, 1 Corinthians is an interesting letter. It's an interesting letter uh, that Paul penned uh, to a young church in the city of Corinth. And it's interesting for a number of reasons. One, uh, this church was a, a pretty messed up, a pretty confused church. In fact, as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, oftentimes uh, it feels more like a daytime talk show uh, than it does a group of people trying to follow Jesus. As you read it, you can almost hear in the background like chants of Jerry, 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 just because the things that they are dealing with and the the dysfunction that this church is marked by is just mind-boggling. I mean, you have, uh, first they're, they're dividing over, well, who's a better preacher? Is it Paul? Some say it was a guy named Apollos, but then the really spiritual people, they say, no, Jesus is better than all of them. That's what we call a Jesus juke, right? That, that Jesus just got always the, the right answer. And, and then they were dividing over how they should worship. Should they do this or should they do that? Should it look like this? Should it look like that? Should it feel like this? Should it feel like that? And then they started dividing over unity, and, uh, which sounds crazy, right? But, but how united should they be? They, there were some They were saying, we are really mature Christians because we're tolerating heinous sexual sin. There was another group saying, hey, something doesn't seem right about what's happening over there. And so here, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to help them sort out their problems. In fact, Paul is writing in response to a letter that they had already written. Now, we we don't have the time to go there, but you could flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you could look around verse 1, and in verse 1, you would see where Paul says, look, I'm going to take up, I'm going to answer these questions that you wrote to me about. So apparently, 1 Corinthians is a letter in response to a letter that uh, the church at Corinth had already written to Paul. Now, why would they write to Paul, not just because he's an apostle, and not just because uh, he was being used by God in really significant ways, But they write to Paul because Paul is the first one to preach the gospel in the city of Corinth. Uh, They write to Paul because he planted the church. And so he's, for many of them, the first pastor that they knew, the first Christian that they knew, and the most most knowledgeable that they knew. Now we come to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul has just been speaking, just been instructing them on uh, orderly worship and unity in the church. And he turns his attention to the resurrection. Derek Prime was a pastor and minister in Scotland of a previous generation. But he said this about 1 Corinthians 15. He said, chapters in the Bible do not compete for importance. But no chapter is more important than 1 Corinthians 15. 
We would do well to read this chapter and to wrestle with what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul to us for today. So look at verse 1. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand. Notice he's reminding, he's not introducing. He had already introduced the Corinthians to the gospel. He was the the first person to preach the gospel to Corinth. And so he comes to them and he says, I'm going to remind you of what you already know. I'm going to remind you of what you should have already heard. In fact, this is the way that Paul deals with all of the problems in uh, the church at Corinth. Every problem that they write to him about, they write to him And he answers with the same thing over and over again. He says, you have a problem here because you failed to believe the gospel. You have a problem here because you have forgotten the gospel. You you have a problem here because you're trying to do it in your own power and your own strength rather than the gospel. In fact, early in the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul tells him, he says, look, I have desired to know nothing among you. He says, I've proclaimed nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, for Paul, the the answer to every problem that the Corinthians had and the answer to every problem that you and I have is the gospel. And so he says here, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, that gospel I preached to you, that phrase, it's literally the gospel that I gospelized to you. Maybe you're, you're new to church. Maybe you're, you're new to this thing and you've heard the word gospel, but you're not sure what it means. Well, the word gospel means good news. And so Paul is saying, he's saying, I would remind you of the good news that I good newsed to you. I would remind you of the good news that I brought, that I delivered to you. And so he's reminding them, not introducing them. And then look here at the end of verse one and then end of verse two. We get a picture of how the gospel works. He said, I preach to you which you received in which you stand and by which you were being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. So he says, look, I'm reminding you of the gospel that you've received, the gospel in which you stand and the gospel in which you are being saved. Now, make no mistake that salvation happens in a moment, right? Salvation happens in an instant. When you put your faith in Christ, you are saved. But Paul says here, this gospel by which you are being saved. See, what he's saying there is that positionally, your position is if you have trusted Christ, then you have been saved. You are saved. But progressively, you are being saved. The Bible word for this is sanctification. You're being sanctified. You're being made more like Christ. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus. And so he says, you have been saved and now you're standing in it and you are being saved. It's a picture of how the gospel works, that the gospel isn't something that we, we need once and then we move on from it. It's not something that's just kind of elementary and that we need to get into the deeper things, into the meatier things. No, the gospel is the source for strength and survival in the Christian life. In other words, get this, the gospel is for Christians too. Rather, the gospel isn't just for people who are lost and who are separated from God. The gospel is for those who have been found as well. Sometimes maybe we think that the gospel is the ABCs of Christianity and we need something more. Well, the truth of the matter is that the gospel is the ABCs and the XYZ. Or the gospel is what we need. And because here's the thing, we forget the fundamentals, don't we? We forget the elementary things. And so here Paul is saying you need to be reminded of the gospel. But at the end of verse two, he he introduces this problem. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. See, the danger here was not that the gospel might not save. The gospel is always powerful enough to save. The problem isn't even that their faith has run out. The problem is that some have believed in vain. It's not that they lost their faith. It's that they never had faith. It's not that they had been forgotten or abandoned by God. It's that they had, they had never been gripped by God. See, the Bible tells us in John chapter 10, Jesus says that 
all who the Father puts in his hand cannot be removed, cannot be taken out. If you need a picture of this believing in vain, maybe you can think back to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, we, we have this picture of people standing before the judgment seat of the Father, which is where we will all stand one day. All of us one day will stand before the judgment seat of the Father. And, and on that day, we'll give an account. And Jesus, he gives us this picture of people who stand before the Father and they say, God, did we not do many wonderful works in your name and cast out many demons in your name and perform these signs in your name? And then do you remember what he says to them? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. See, these were people who'd believed in vain they hadn't put their faith in Christ. I went, I went down a dark hole this week, um, and I started reading about different conspiracy theories. Uh, and one of the conspiracy theories that I spent the most time reading about was uh, the flat earth theory. Now, maybe, maybe you are a flat earther here today. We are glad you were here. You may want to tune out for a minute, all right? Um, but... But as I was reading about this flat earth theory, if you're, if you're not familiar with what this theory teaches, this theory teaches, get this, that the earth is flat, right? Um, and so uh, I'm reading about this, and in the mid-2010s, this flat earth theory really picked up steam. But it, in 2020, there was a noticeable drop-off. So people who study these things, who look at these things, uh, they had been producing all kinds of blogs and YouTube videos and all kinds of things. And then suddenly, late 2019 and into 2020, they started to notice a wane in influence. They started to notice a drop in articles written and videos posted and whatever it may be. And so they started asking, well, well why is this happening? Why, why does it seem to be slowing down? And there were a few different reasons, a, a few different things that they gave. One they said because it was no longer new, and so it was no longer fresh, and it was no longer fun. But the most prominent reason that was given across several articles that I read was that people didn't really believe it in the first place. In other words, was that people had believed in vain that they had been caught up in this frenzy, that they had had friends tell them this or coworkers or family members or, or whatever it was, they had watched some YouTube videos and they had gotten really excited about it. But then eventually they had just decided to move on because there was a new, better, more interesting theory to look at. There was a new, better, more interesting conspiracy to think about. They had believed in vain. This is what Paul is warning against here. He's saying, be careful that, that you have not believed in vain. That you didn't get swept up whenever I came, whenever I, I declared the gospel to you and you, you started seeing the Lord work and you started doing all or seeing all of these things. And so it, you started walking after that. See, I would imagine that the danger was that they had put their faith in what Jesus could give them rather than in Jesus. Right, that they had put their faith in all that Jesus was doing for other people, saying, I want some of that but I don't want Jesus. I, I, I want those gifts. I want those blessings. I want those miracles. But I don't want him. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful that you haven't believed in vain. See, uh, throughout the New Testament, we see encouragements like this. We see the New Testament writers saying things like, make your calling and election sure. We see him say things like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what they're saying there is to do the hard work that is heart work and to see, have you really believed? To pray and, and ask the Lord to show you, are you believing in vain or is your faith in Christ? Paul says that if you're, you're holding fast to the gospel, even even in the midst of struggle and heartache and turmoil and all of those things, if you're going to the gospel, then your faith is in Christ. But to beware that you aren't believing in vain. And so we see in these first two verses why the gospel matters. Next we see this, what the gospel is. We see what the gospel is. See, getting the gospel right is essential because eternity is long. 
One of the greatest movies to ever be made is the movie The Sandlot. I mean, you can disagree with me, but you would be wrong, all right? Um, And I love the way that squints in The Sandlot. He describes eternity. He says it is forever, right? It's a long, it's forever. See, eternity is far too long to get the gospel wrong. Because eternity is eternity. We must get the gospel right. In verse three, Paul, he begins to give us this explanation of the gospel. Look at verse three. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Notice he says, I delivered it. He's reminding them, I was the person to preach it to you. I'm the one who brought it to you. And then notice how he talks about the gospel. He says, I delivered it to you as of first importance. The most important thing that I could give you, the most important thing that I could tell you, it was the gospel. When he says first importance, he's not talking about chronologically. He's not saying the first important thing that I delivered to you and the second important thing and the third important thing. No, he's saying the the most important thing that I delivered to you. Of all the important things that I'm sure that Paul said to them, of all the important things that I'm sure Paul taught them, the single most important thing was the gospel. Understand where it came from. It didn't come from Paul's creativity. Notice he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This didn't come from Paul's creativity. It was a a message that he had received and he had received it on the road to Damascus where the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ had come and had appeared to him. See, this is really the job description of every apostle. An apostle is someone who has seen Jesus and then has been commissioned by Jesus to carry this message, to carry this gospel to wherever they take it. So you can think of it like this, that the the job of an apostle is the same thing as a waiter or a server. A a waiter, a server, they don't don't cook the meal. They don't prepare the meal. They they don't write the recipe. No, the chef writes the recipe. The, The chef cooks the meal, and then the chef gives the meal to the waiter to deliver to the table without messing up. I've never gone to a restaurant and had a waiter bring the food to me and say, hey, don't worry, I stopped on the way and added a little something extra, right? I added my own little secret spin or my my own little special spin. If that happened, I can only imagine that I would do one of two things. I I would eat it and pray that there was nothing crazy on it, right? Or I would say, thank you so much, can I talk to your manager? (laughs) Thank you so much, please walk away from me now, right? Because that's not the role of a server. The role of a waiter is not to create or to add to, but to deliver. And that's, that's what Paul has done here. He has delivered what he has received from Jesus. So what is this message? He says, I've delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here at the end of verse three, and then verse four, we see what this message is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's three parts. First is that Christ died. And why did Christ die? Well, he died for our sins. He endured the wrath that we deserved on the cross. And he did this in accordance with the scriptures to fulfill God's plan. So you understand that on the cross, Jesus became our sin. On the cross, Jesus became everything that separates us from God, everything that separates us from heaven, everything that that sends us to hell, Jesus became that. And on the cross, God poured out his wrath for our sin on Jesus. This is why we make such a big deal about the cross, right? This is why we have a cross on the stage behind me right now. It's because on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that our sin deserves. And understand, the death on the cross was a terrible death. If a first century Roman citizen were to walk into this room today and receive that we have a cross on our stage, they would start to ask questions. It would be very similar as if we walked into an auditorium and saw an electric chair on the stage. Right? The cross was a symbol for execution. The cross was a symbol for torture and for torment. 
And yet for us, because Jesus died, it's a symbol of hope. See, the, Paul says here that the first part of the gospel is that Christ died. The second part is that Jesus was buried. He was buried because he was dead. He didn't almost die. He didn't kind of die. He was dead. He died, died. And one of the things that I love is that the New Testament authors go through the pains to make sure that we understand that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was buried in a borrowed tomb because Jesus is the only person to die and to give the tomb back. Right? He, he borrowed the tomb because he wasn't going to need it for long. I, I haven't looked into this, but I would imagine there's not a whole lot of like casket rental services. Right? Like I'm just going to need it for a little bit and then I'll give it back. Right? I, I'm, just, I'm not going to be here long. You can have it. No, because we understand that when someone's buried, they're buried because they're dead. Jesus was buried because he was dead, but he doesn't stay dead. He doesn't stay there. And the, the third part of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There was nothing about the gospel that should have been shocking to the disciples. Because if they read the Old Testament well, and if they listened to Jesus teach, then they knew that this was always God's plan. It was always God's plan that his son would come and would die. This is why we have the Passover lamb. This is why we have sacrifices made in the Old Testament. They're pointing us towards the final sacrifice, Jesus the Christ, that would be offered. It says that he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised. That word raised, the way that it's written, it carries with this, this idea that he rose from the grave and that he is still risen. So it's not that Jesus rose from the grave, did some things, and then went back to the grave. He, he didn't walk out and then go back and lay down. No, Jesus got up, walked out of the grave, was on the earth for 40 days, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he is even now interceding for you and me. And he tells us that it was better for him to leave than to stay because when Jesus left, he would send the helper. He would send his Holy Spirit to live inside, to dwell inside of us. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. That's the gospel in a nutshell. In fact, scholars believe that this was probably a creed that was recited by the early church every time they gathered together to remind them of who they were, to remind them of why they were there, to, to remind them of what had happened. Now, Paul says, look, don't just take my word for it that Jesus was raised from the grave. No, he gives some proof for the resurrection. Look at verse 5. It says, in that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. It's as if Paul is saying, look, you don't have to take my word for it. Listen to these other Christians. Listen to these other eyewitnesses. He says, he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. Then he appeared to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500. And he takes pains to, to be accurate. He says, look, many of them are still alive, but some have died. He says, you don't have to just listen to me. Go, go and ask these others. You know, I think sometimes we think that it was easy for them to believe the resurrection in the early church. That in the ancient world, it was easy for them to believe because they didn't have what we have, right? We have electricity. We have contact lenses. We have deodorant, right? We, we know what bacteria is. We, we have science. They didn't have any of that. Obviously, they believed in a resurrection. Well, see, that's what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. That we would think that because we are who we are, we are smarter than every generation that has come before. That we're smarter than every people that has come before. We're smarter than, than everyone who's come before because we have all of these things. But see, the resurrection was just as difficult to believe then as it was now. And so Paul says, go and talk to the eyewitnesses. And I say, well, Ethan, we don't have eyewitnesses. Who can I talk to? Right? If these eyewitnesses are all dead, how can I know that the resurrection is real, that the resurrection happened? Well, I think that there's, there's many ways that we can have great confidence that the resurrection is indeed a historical event, a fact. 
Now, let, let me just give you three. The first one is this, is that the accounts of the resurrection are far too problematic to be false. Here's what I mean by that. The way that the gospel writers record the resurrection happening, the first people to find that Jesus is risen were women. Now, in the ancient world, women couldn't testify in a court of law. In the ancient world, women couldn't speak up on their own behalf. In the ancient world, you would never call, you would never give credence or back up your story by saying, hey, go talk to these ladies. And yeah, that's exactly what happens, that, that Jesus appears first to two women who he knew they weren't going to be able to testify to the fact that he was raised. They, they weren't going to be able to, uh, to testify that, that he was walking. Right, if Jesus wanted to make it neat and clean, if, if they wanted to fake that Jesus had been raised from the grave, well, then they would have had Peter find the empty tomb. But instead, they have two, two ladies find the empty tomb. There's a second reason that we can have great confidence in the resurrection, and it's the way that every one of the 12 disciples died. 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred. They were killed because they wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection. The 12th disciple, John, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, but before he was exiled, he was boiled in a bowl of oil to try to get him to recant that the resurrection had not happened. Well, why would these men have given their lives for what they knew they had made up? Why would they give their lives for what they knew they had invented? In fact, uh, church tradition tells us that Peter that the way that he was crucified was that he didn't count himself as worthy enough to be killed, to die the same death that his savior had died. So Peter was crucified, but he was crucified upside down. He was crucified because he knew that he was not worthy to die the death that Jesus had died. Why would Peter go through the pains to make his death worse if he knew that he was telling a lie? Why would he go through the effort to die for something he knew that he had invented? There's another reason that we can have great confidence in the resurrection, and it's this. The explosive growth of the early church. And I said, well, Ethan, how does that explain anything? Uh, I, was, I was reading in my, my quiet time this morning. And one of the things that you read when you read early in the book of Acts is there's this... Um, they're preoccupied with the resurrection because they know that it changes everything. And the book of Acts tells us about these others who had come and who had tried to, to fake that they were uh, Messiah, that they were God's son. And they all ended up being stamped out, except for Jesus. Right? That, that Jesus' followers, they see that he is alive, and then what do they do next? They begin telling everyone they can. And the gospel begins spreading and it begins moving and it, and it keeps going and going and going to the point that 2,000 years later, you and I are here in this room celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive because we know from what they had said. Right? We know because they had seen it. And so the church grows, the church explodes because these people had seen the resurrected Jesus and they couldn't stop talking about who he is and what he had done. See, here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see why the gospel matters. We see what the gospel is. And finally, we see this, what the gospel does. See, the gospel works. The gospel is not a self-improvement plan. It's not eight steps to your next best life. It's not seven steps to have your best life now or to do this or to do that. No, the gospel changes you simply because that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes people. This is why you should care about the resurrection. See, Jesus' resurrection matters because your resurrection matters. Now, Paul uses himself to show that the gospel works. He, he holds himself up as an example. To say, look, you need proof that the gospel works? Listen to this. So look at verse eight. He says, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He says, last of all, he's talking there about his late conversion compared to the other apostles. Paul was saved years after uh, the others. 
He says as one untimely born, he was saved late, and as such, he was the, the last apostle to see Christ. And if you know anything about Paul, then you know that Paul is the last guy, he's the last one that you would expect to end up as a Christian. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you can identify with Paul. Maybe the people who know your past, maybe you're the last person that they would ever expect to be a Christian. Maybe the people who, who you went to high school with or that you went to college with or that, that you worked with, maybe the last place they would expect to find you is in a church on a Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe that's even the case for people you work with now. Maybe you have found yourself here in this room because someone told you that if you come to church with them today, then you can eat ham later, <laughs> Right? You can have some macaroni and cheese. You can have some of grandma's deviled eggs. You, you can have carrot cake, whatever it is. Right? Maybe you came just because of what's on the other side. You think, eh, there's no way that God could save me. There's no way that God could use me. There's no way that God could do anything with me. Well, here's the thing. I know that God can save you because God saved Paul. But more than that, I know that God can save you because God saved me. I can say with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet God's grace worked in my life just as it worked in Paul's life and just as it can work in your life. In verse nine, Paul gives us a, a glimpse of who he was before coming to Christ. Look at verse nine. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, when Paul says that he persecuted the church of God, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that he was kind of mean to some Christians. He's not saying that he picketed and protested on the sidewalk in front of the building. He, he, he's not saying that, that he would stand outside and say, hey, y'all aren't very smart. Hey, you're not very nice. Hey, whatever it is. No, when Paul says that he persecuted the church, what he means is that he would ransack homes and divide families and send mothers and fathers and husbands and wives to prison where they awaited their execution. Listen to Acts chapter three, verse eight. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Paul wasn't the guy that was knocking on the door and saying, hey, are there Christians in here? Paul was the guy that was kicking the door in, going in, not asking questions and dragging men and women to prison where they waited to die. In 2015, some pictures came out. There were screen grabs from a video that really kind of shocked the world. In 2015, there were 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by ISIS because they took the name of Christ. One of the pictures that went viral coming out of that was a picture of these Christians lined up. We have it here for you. These Christians are, are lined up with their executioners standing behind them. And those executioners standing behind them, in just a few minutes, uh, they would behead every one of them. Now, as we, we look at this picture, we can feel just the weight and the pain and the evil that is there. And maybe we might imagine Paul as one of the guys in black standing behind one of the guys in orange. But that's not where Paul would have been. Paul was the guy in the middle. He's the guy in the middle that's not dressed like any of the guys in the black or any of the guys in the orange. He's the guy doing the talking. He's the guy saying that if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're gonna kill you just like we're about to kill them. He's the guy that would say, all right, when you're ready, cut their heads off. But Paul wasn't just a guy that had done some bad things and kind of lost his way. Paul was a murderer. He was a murderer who murdered Christians. He was a murderer who came after God's people because he wanted to silence God's mouth. And instead, what he found was a God who was gracious. What he found was a God who did not require him to die, but instead put his son to death for him. See, here in verse 9, we get this picture. He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. It, he feels, 
reveals that there is nothing good in him. And then in verse 10, we have the best word, the greatest word in the Bible, but. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See here, Paul's unworthiness is met with God's grace. He's an apostle, he's a believer, simply because of God's grace and and not because of anything else. There wasn't anything that Paul had done to earn salvation. In fact, if we were to line up Paul's life, it would make complete sense that, hey, he doesn't get to heaven, right? He gets punishment. And yet instead, he gets grace. And what does this produce in him? It produces gratitude. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Now this work that he's talking about there, this isn't a work of salvation, this is a work of ministry. He he worked harder not to earn grace, but as a response to what he had already received. And yet even in his hard work, look at who it is that gets the glory. He says, "It, it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is with me. God gets the credit. Right, God is the hero of Paul's story. And if you are living your life in a way that God is not the hero of your story, then you are living your life in the wrong way. See, God, God is the hero of Paul's story. And so he knows that, look, there, I didn't earn any of this. I don't deserve any of this. But God has been gracious to me. He, he ends this this passage by addressing a group that had doubted his calling and his gifting. They had been attacking him to the Corinthians. Look at verse 11. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. As they're sprinkled throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, he he addresses these these people. He refers to them sarcastically as super apostles, right? These who who they are, they're so great. They're so much better than him. He says, look, I don't care what they think. He says, what's important is that the gospel's been preached and people have believed. Now we see, that, we see two ways that the gospel works in Paul's story. First is this, the gospel always leads to humility. The gospel always leads to humility. There, there's no room for pride in a heart captivated by Jesus. See, Jesus never shares his glory and he certainly will not share his glory with you or with me. He, he gives God all the credit. So the first way that the gospel works in Paul's story is that it leads to humility. The the second way that the gospel works is that it leads to repentance. Notice that Paul doesn't try to hide from his sin. He he doesn't try to hide from what what he's done. No, instead, he he brings it out, he confesses it, and he takes it to the cross. In in other words, he, he brings light to his sin, and then he runs to God's grace. He knows that because Jesus is alive, he doesn't have to hide from his sin. Because Jesus is alive, he doesn't have to try to hide his sin from a holy God. See, because of the gospel, we don't have to hide who we are and what we've done from God, but we can freely bring it to him. We're tempted to think that I've got to hide my sin because God won't know what to do with it. I've got to hide my sin because it's so embarrassing if God were to find out. Here's the thing, God already knows. God already knows how you have sinned and how I have sinned. And you know what he does? He invites us to be forgiven by him. He offers us grace and he offers us mercy. He offers the life of his son who took his wrath for my sin and for your sin, who was buried in a grave, but then who rose from that grave three days later and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And that's why we celebrate today. We celebrate today that Jesus is alive and not just that Jesus is alive, but that because Jesus is alive, there's hope for us. Because Jesus is alive, there's grace for you and there's grace for me. Because Jesus is alive, we don't have to hide from God and we don't have to hide from our sin. Instead, We can be fully known, we can be fully loved, and we can be fully accepted by a good and a gracious God. See, some of us are like Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
They heard God walking through the garden. And do you remember what they did? They hid. They hid because they were ashamed of their sins. See, some of you have come in here today and you feel the weight of that shame. Some of you have come in here today and you, you feel the, the burden of shame that your sin has brought. You feel the, the weight of shame that your, your sin has won for you. You, you. you have sins that you don't want anyone to find out about. You have sins that you want to hide that, that if we were to put them on the screen, that you would you'd run out of the room. Here's the thing. It's not just you that has those sins. We all have those sins. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty. I am guilty. You are guilty. We are guilty. But the resurrection of Jesus teaches us is that because Jesus is alive, there's a way for our sins to be forgiven. You know, Paul's writing this discussion of the resurrection here. If we were to keep reading, we would learn that, that there were people in Corinth who had begun to doubt that the resurrection was real. They'd begun to doubt that the resurrection even mattered. But Paul writes to counter that, and as we, we read through the scriptures, here's what we learn. We learn that the resurrection isn't optional. Sometimes when we think about the resurrection, I think we, we think about the resurrection as just what believers experience. Maybe you've heard about this resurrection, and you know something about Jesus resurrecting, and, and so if you follow Jesus, you'll be resurrected. But here's, here's what the Bible tells us. The resurrection is for everyone. We will all be raised. Here's the question. The question is, what will you be raised to? Will you be raised to life, to glory, and to heaven with Jesus? Or will you be raised to to punishment and separation in hell? Will you experience the, the love and the grace of Jesus or will you experience his wrath and his condemnation for your sin that you decided you would handle instead of giving it to him? See, the Bible tells us that our God doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should have eternal life. See, apart from Christ, we all get hell, but because of Christ, that doesn't have to be your story. Because of Christ, that, that doesn't have to be where your story is moving. To know because of Christ, you can experience grace and forgiveness and redemption. And so I hope that today is the day that you'll experience that. That you'll experience the grace that only Jesus can give that you'll experience freedom from your sin, freedom from your shame, and you'll experience the freedom of life with a God who loves you and who cares for you. In just a minute, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing, and as we sing, uh, there will be uh, people down front, you'll see them with lanyards or green shirts, and they're here just to, to pray with you to talk with you, maybe set up a time uh, for, for you to have a conversation uh, later offline. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? Maybe you'd say, even you've talked about Jesus, man, I need to trust him. I, I need Jesus. Well, as we sing, I hope you'll come and you'll, you'll talk to one of these down here because they're waiting for you. That's why they are here. They're here to talk with you. They're here to pray with you. They're here to celebrate with you that Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is alive, he can make you alive as well. Maybe say, Ethan, I, I, just need, I just need to come and confess my sin. Man, I've trusted Christ. I know that I'm, I'm a believer, but my sin has been weighing heavy on me, and I just need someone to pray with me. I need someone to give me an assurance of pardon, an assurance that, that Jesus has died, and Jesus has been raised, and because of that, there's freedom and there's forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for your goodness. 
Lord, thank you that Jesus is alive, that we're here celebrating the fact that we, we have a God who is alive. Not only is he alive, but we have a God who, who came and who lived among us, who died for us, who was buried with us, and who brings a resurrection to us. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that if we haven't experienced that resurrection power, that saving power that, that forgives us of our sin and makes us alive with Jesus, God, I pray that today would be the day. Now, as you keep praying with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you, you might be saying, Ethan, I'm the one that needs to trust Christ today. I'm the one that needs to follow Jesus today. But I don't know how to do it. What do I do? Well, here's what I want you to know. That it's not about some kind of magical prayer. It's not, not about some special thing that you say. It's really about the posture of your heart. It's really about the brokenness of your heart. But oftentimes, the, the way that we the way that we express the reality of our heart is through prayer. And so maybe you need to pray something like this. God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I know that I need a Savior. God, I know that Jesus is that Savior. And so, God, I'm praying that, that Jesus would, would save me, that he would forgive me. Lord, help me to turn from my sin and help me to trust in you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed something like it, man, we want to know, we want to celebrate with you. We want to help you take your next step, help you follow Jesus. So I hope that as we sing that you'll, you'll come and you'll, you'll let us rejoice with you. You'll let us pray with you. You'll, you'll let us encourage you. Don't, don't wait to trust Jesus. Father, we pray and we ask you now that you would do what only you can do. That you would apply your word and your gospel to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder.